You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 37 for Monday the 14th of November 2016. My guest today is David Gogran, an Irish writer who spends most of his time travelling the world collecting stories. He's the author of two Latin American historical adventures, two short stories, If You Go Into the Woods and Transfection, and the popular writer's guides, Let's Get Digital and Let's Get Visible. In fact, if you are an indie author, you've probably got at least one of those on your bookshelves. He runs the publishing blog, Let's Get Digital, and the Latin American history site, South Americana, and his work has been featured in the Huffington Post, the Sunday Times, and the Irish Times. I began by asking him if he ever felt like a voice in the wilderness at a writing conference, which mainly attracts a traditional publishing audience. It, it kind of changes over the weekend, right? I think on the, on the Friday, people are a bit more close-minded about it. But I think then after it, they've had a few one-to-ones and, and they, they've maybe not gotten the best feedback in the world. They start thinking about other options then. So it's, and again, like maybe they haven't been exposed to any information for it. They might have some out-of-date views about self-publishing. They might associate it with Vanity Press publishing exclusively. And, and then they see that, you know, and also like to see someone in the flesh that actually exists in the real world as not some kind of unicorn is actually selling books and making money, I think makes a big difference. We had a fascinating debate. I love this debate because I do it every year at the festival about, um, you know, indie versus traditional publishing. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're virtually the lone voice. We did have somebody from Bookature there this yeah. year. So you've got a little bit of support there. Uh, and then you've got the traditional industry. Um, again, it fascinates me because most people don't seem to know that self-publishing is a real option that's, that's very powerful for sales. Well, what, what I was interested by, because I've been coming here to this conference for five years now, and I've been doing that debate nearly every year as well. And it's certainly becoming a little bit more polite with every year because the, the views aren't diverging as much. You know, um, five years ago, there would have been way less agreement and way more polarized opinions at the table. But I think now everyone, everyone's kind of accepting the new reality. And the new reality is that self-publishers are taking over. Um, we actually had some data and numbers on the board today, so um, I didn't have people looking at me like I was crazy. Because <laughs> like, I think before the first author earnings report came out, nobody had any idea of the size of self-publishing, right? And they were the first guys to do it in any kind of scientific way or database way. I tried to write a blog post having a stab at guessing it um, one day. And I was working with really bad data because Amazon doesn't share much info, and neither do the other guys, Google or, or Apple or any of them. Or the publishers, by the way. They're always complaining Amazon doesn't share data, but they don't yes. share, they don't share anything. Um, but yeah, so, but if you look at like the Amazon quarterly uh, press releases, you know, the reports to their stockholders, they'll always have a little line about something to do with KDP. And I went through all of them and I pulled out or, like the little morsels that they give out every so often and put them all together. And then the ones from Kobo and Apple and all this kind of stuff. And I stitched together using a fair bit of fuzzy logic and a few leaps into the unknown. And I said, I think it's about that self-publishers have captured roughly 25% of the US ebook market. And I was like, before I published it, I was, I was getting worried. I was like, oh man, people are going to think I'm nuts. Um, I better, I better test this with a few people. So, um, there's a, a couple of Facebook groups that I'm in, um, just writers, like, you know, private groups where you can chat and, and all that, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, guys, can you take a look at this? Because like, 
people are going to think I'm nuts because I think in, in unit sales terms, not in dollar terms, but in unit sales terms, I think self-publishers have captured a quarter of the US ebook market. And they're all, they're all like, you're nuts. They're nuts. There's no way. And then they read it and they were like, you could be right. So, And the funny thing was, the first author earnings report came out and people did think I was nuts when, they put, when I published it. And they said there was holes in my arguments and all that. And then author earnings came out like three or four months later, I think, the first one. And they said, we've worked it out and self-publishers have captured 28% of the US ebook market. Yeah. And I was like, almost oh, unbelievable, yeah. like unbelievable to get that confirmed properly because I was doing a lot of guessing. Um, so yeah, but we are taking over. I think like the data they put up on, on the on the board today uh, was astonishing that self-publishers have uh, 44% in unit sales terms of the ebook on, on Amazon anyway, not not the entire US ebook market on Amazon. Um yeah, and I think there was a few agents and editors that hadn't heard that number before, and I'd say they were quite surprised. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I saw that you you were at the side of them. I, I saw the faces. Oh, I can see from the faces. The front. Yeah, it was quite interesting, actually. Yeah. I think that was a report they wanted to see. Yeah, I and think they'd be looking at checking it out later. I, I, they'd all be looking at it and circulating around the office, I think, because it was mm. pretty uh, pretty compelling graph, wasn't it? Yeah. And I came to you, as I'm sure many people did, via Let's Get digital yeah and you keep making me sing olivia john's song every time i see that blasted book on the shelf yeah uh it, it, it fires me off it's like pavlov's dog um that was totally on purpose but uh, yeah i'm sure it was yeah thanks for that and uh, it's a great <laughs> song though uh, and uh, but you must have had a day one in in self-publishing and i'm wondering what your background was because you write historical novels and and yet most people this must be a curse for you know, know you for that book um did you have a day one where you went the traditional route and then your journey took you down self-publishing? Well, yeah, I think my, my story was pretty typical. Like I, I spent a few years writing my first proper book. You know, there was other, other ones um, that were thrown away. Um, I don't think there's going to be any like scholars in the future cursing the fact that I burned <laughs> those pages and smashed the hard drive into hammer, tiny little pieces with a hammer so that no one could ever read it. I definitely did the world a favor there. Um, but my first proper, proper book took, I don't know, two, three years to write, to finish. I, what I thought I'd finished it, I'd only done the first draft. And I found out that there was such a thing as a second draft. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the first biggest surprise, isn't yeah. it, for authors? Yeah. Like, what, I'm not, I'm not done? I thought, like, the kudos were going to start raining down, and, along with the dollars and all that. But so I started querying agents and found out, you know, that it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near ready. Um, and then I went back, pulled it apart, you know, did another draft. And I, I did that for, like, 18 months, getting nicer rejections gradually along the way than starting to request the full book and the usual journey everyone goes on. But um, after after eighteen months of that, I came so close to getting an agent, and and I didn't uh, that I was starting to look at other options, and that was around the time that Barry Eister walked away from a half million dollar advance, and Amanda Hawking got a two million dollar advance. So, and and then I just decided, well, let's give this a go. Let's let's publish a few short stories and see what happens. And actually, you know, I, I enjoyed it, and I was selling a few, and I was getting nice reviews, and and uh, I was making some money out of it. So I, I decided to like it was a plan B for me originally. I wanted a deal. I wanted mm. an agent. But now it's most definitely a plan A. And it was pretty cool. Like, I think it was within six months of me starting to self-publish, I actually got to send a rejection letter to an agent. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, if, you ever got the, if you ever get the opportunity, just go for it. Let it all out. A lot of closure there. Yeah, yeah I bet. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. But, my, but my background before I got into all this, um, uh, I worked for Google for a while, which definitely helped me get into the mindset of self-publishing. No, no, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that about you. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't go on about that. I don't know why. I don't mention that anywhere. But um, yeah, it definitely gave me an advantage in terms of you know being familiar with things like analytics and data and 
also quite, quite crucially, because I was working for AdWords, the, 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 the part of the company that puts those, those little ads beside your search results. And I was there in the Dublin office in Google. When I started, there was, I was employee number 35, I think. And by the time, I was only working for them for 18 months. And by the time I left, I think they were up to 1,500 employees, wow. right? So that was at the time when everything took off. This is before they floated. And then, you know, I was there for the, for the float. And then I got my shares and I left. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, like, like a few people. Um, but yeah, so I saw, I saw industry after industry getting disrupted by the internet. And each industry did the exact same thing, which was they thought they were special, that it wasn't going to happen to them. And they stuck their head in the sand and they got absolutely creamed. Mm-hmm. And so when publishing started getting disrupted by, by ebooks and by self-publishing, I, I, like I'd seen this movie before, I knew how it was going to end. So I think that helped too. So I, do, I wasn't hanging on to, to old ideas. I was able to, once I saw that self-publishing was genuinely viable, I was able to switch to that new paradigm pretty quickly. So that, that helped a lot. Right. Um, you and I are gentlemen of a certain age. Yeah. Um, what, what's your background? You know, I, I don't know about early days. Yeah, early Dave. Early yeah. Dave, he was a bit shorter. Uh, he less, <laughs> had less facial hair. <laughs> Um, he was a writer too, though. I think I remember uh, my, my first ever reading that I've ever done, and still the only one I've done, because it was such a horrific experience. I think it was at the age of like seven or eight or nine or something, or maybe even young. No, you know, it was about nine, I think. And it was a short story that I wrote. And um, then I had to read it in the library to a group of even younger children, like four or five year olds. It was, it was quite bizarre. Um, and I hated the experience. Uh, because I'd never read my that story aloud. I'd never read anything aloud. But you know, you know that thing you do before you publish a book. You often read it aloud to see if there's any clunky phrasing. And I had some some stupid device in the story where there was like some magic gun which could I don't know send people back in time or something. But I I I, I had this like 18 syllable word for it, and then I ended up having to say that word repeatedly over and over again. And I'm still I can't even say it. I'm too mentally scarred. <laughs> but yeah, no, I always wanted to write. I think like like most writers, you're always scribbling something, but without any real direction. Like it wasn't like I, I didn't have one of those mythically cool English teachers that you know spotted my talent and and told me to go for it. But it was always always something I was interested in. My like my father was a huge. Well, all all my family were huge readers. Like my grandmother, my father, my mother. Um, but my father, I always remember my father's library. He was the one that had the kind of real reverence for books. I think probably, probably because my grandmother was reading romances and, and, you know, at, before in the pre-Kindle age, you kind of had to hide those away. So, yes. Uh, yes. yeah, because they weren't considered real books or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I was always surrounded by books and I was always, I, there were always uh, special objects in, in, in my house that people were looking at and treating, treating with a certain kind of reverence. And I always wanted to be one of the people that wrote one of those books. And I was always interested in stories and, and yeah, it was, it was, it was something that never left me. Like, I think I started writing like kind of diary stuff and little short story stuff in my teenage years. And then in my twenties, um, I think there was something happened. I think, uh, I lost a notebook which was full of all these stories and I was so heartbroken by that that I didn't write anything for another five or ten years. Oh, crikey. That's yeah. like Bob Monkhouse, isn't it, with these diaries? That's, uh, yeah, yeah. He was distraught, wasn't he, at the time? Yeah, and like that, 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 like, and then I, but I started working for Google and doing other things and getting distracted by technology and, and, you know, uh, all, the, all that fun stuff. Um, but it came, it came back to me, like I always, and like that's, that's why I left Google, um, not just because I got my shares, but because I wanted to write a book. I knew that um, this was the time for me to do it before I got, you know, too tied down with any kind of like worldly responsibilities that I, I could go to South America. And I, the idea was to go to South America and sit in a beach and write a book. And that's kind of what I did. Um, 
and it ended up being a book set in South America, so that was quite handy. Yeah. And now, now it looks like I was you know, very, very uh, clinical. And, and offset and, you know, it against tax, can you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Expense everything. Keep those receipts. You know, the only backpacker in the world with a big wedge of receipts. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah, so like I've always, like even though I drifted away from writing for a while, um, I think it was always, I don't believe in destiny or fate or something, but it was definitely something that was always on my mind I wanted to do. Has the, um, the Let's Get Digital or, or your non-fiction books, have they become a bit of an albatross for the for the fictional writing, because when people think of you, they think of those books. You've got obviously you've got a big audience for your fiction as well. But does it feel a bit of a curse sometimes? Well, no. It 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 only boxes you into a corner if you let it. I, well, there's certainly times when I, maybe I did let it, or you're like. Uh, the problem with the kind of self-publishing advice treadmill um, is that it can eat up a lot of your time if you're blogging, if you're trying to increase your presence on Facebook and all that kind of stuff, which which I don't recommend that, that writers do in general. But if you are writing like a how-to guide, it can be an effective way to, to build a platform for you. So I was spending too much time doing that stuff and not enough time writing novels. And I just decided about – it was after I released the second edition of Let's Get Digital – I was like, there was people clamoring for me to do a, an, an updated version of Let's Get Visible. And I was like, no, like I've, I've got to write at least three or four or five more novels before I consider doing anything like that. I've got to, I've got to look after myself now. This is what I want to write. I want to write historical novels. That I never planned, you know, I never planned to write nonfiction. I never planned to write self-publishing stuff. I just kind of fell backwards into it. Like when I started self-publishing, I don't think there was any guidebooks out there, none that I knew about. Um, I knew about Joe Conrad's blog, but that to me seemed like you know, a bunch of unicorns running around, all these people with, you know, millions of sales and, and a lot of them were coming from a traditional publishing background or they'd been writing for 20 years. Like, um, it didn't seem like achievable for me. Mm. So I, I just started figuring out some of this stuff on my own, like how, and it was funny, there was a, a whole group of beginners straight away. I don't, it was kind of magical the way it all just came together. All these people were, going through those first steps at the same time so we all kind of figured it out together like how to find an editor how to get reviews all, all that basic stuff and i i was blogging about it as we were going along and then somebody said one of the blog readers said can you put that together in a pdf for us just so we can so i can print it out and i was like okay and and that's how let's get Jesus came about wow, um so yeah, and then when I started putting it together, I was like, well, if this is going to be a book, I should probably do it properly, you know, and do yeah. do some order here and clean up these. And and it was mad. I actually wrote Let's Get Digital in this kind of like crazy three-week period. Uh, I remember there was a giant box of wine on the table. I was, living, I was living in Sweden at the time, and the only cheap or reasonably priced alcohol you could get were giant boxes of wine. It was, and it was nice wine. Because it all, it's all a state-owned company that runs all the, the uh, off-license and liquor stores there. So they buy the wine in huge bulk. So it ends up being quite cheap when everything else in Sweden is very expensive. So I had this big box of wine on my table. And it was summer. And in summer in Sweden, the sun doesn't go down. And you're completely wired the whole time. And it's the opposite in the winter. You can't get out of bed and you've no energy and there's no sunlight. It's funny. So, yeah, it was this crazy three-week period where I had, like, insomnia. And I couldn't really sleep. And just, like, wrote Let's Get Digital in this kind of mad, mad, crazy frenzy. And I'd only, I was so inexperienced, you know, I hadn't properly finished my first novel. I'd only written a few short stories and published those, self-published those. I hadn't self-published that novel yet. I'd only sold 150 books or something when I wrote Let's Get Digital. And then everything just went from there. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, a bestseller. To, I think it sold, I don't know, last time I checked, it was well over 25,000 copies anyway. So it's a, for, a, for that category, like that's, that's, that's quite a lot. 
Um, it's an audio book too, isn't it? I'm sure I got the audio book first. Yeah, is that right? it's Simon audio, Whistler, is it? Simon Whistler yes, did the yeah, audio book. And um, yeah, there's paperback and all that kind of stuff as well. But at the start, it was just an ebook. Um, and I, yeah, I wasn't, a, I, I guess there was, there was a hole in the market for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's funny, like people always think I was very clinical, like I was very clever that I started off doing this and then that and that. And I, I, I really fell backwards into everything, you know? So that was kind of funny. So what are, what are your plans next? Because uh, Let's Get Digital is actually free now, isn't it? You made it free, which is a very interesting move. What, what comes next for you in terms of your self-publishing career? I know you've just released a book, haven't you? Well, right now, and, and for the foreseeable, I'm definitely going to be focusing on um, writing more novels. Uh, I just released the first book in a new series, which is hopefully going to be a long-running series. Um, definitely at least three books, but I'm, I'm thinking it could go up to eight. It really depends on how it sells, how I feel about writing it. And when I start plotting out all those books, like, will I be able to sustain the pace correctly over, over that many time? But I've tried, I put a lot of effort in the first book to try and leave it open enough that I can go any direction with it, depending on whether it's a huge seller or a flop or whatever, you know? So yeah, I'm, and it's funny, like I never ever thought I'd write a series because I, I don't really like reading a series. I like, uh, well, not in historical fiction. I do in fantasy or epic fantasy and science fiction and all that stuff. But for historic fiction, I always like just one big meaty book, one and done, story mm-hmm. over. And that's what I liked writing. But as any self-publisher knows, it's much, much easier to sell a series than to sell a standalone. So I was like, okay, you know, I've got to stop fighting with one hand behind my back yes. here. I'm going to write a series. And I was thinking it was going to like impinge on my artistic freedom in some way. And that's, that's total BS, you know, like it, it's actually, it was a great stretch of the writing muscles to try and think in a different way and try and think about how an arc can work over several books yeah. and all that, all that other stuff that a series writer has to think about, like how you're going to end it. You know, with a standalone, you have total freedom. With a series, you've got to think about, you know, what new situation you're going to throw the hero into. Like, you know, are you going to, are you going to have a cliffhanger? Are you going to have a twist and all that kind of cool, cool, cool kind of stuff. So I definitely helped me take a step up as a writer. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting properly into book two now. I've just, I've just plotted it and written a couple of kind of test chapters to, to work, work on the voice. Um, but yeah, I really, really look forward to getting into it. Um, my my last question to you then, because I know you're about to deliver a lecture to a room full of people. Yeah. And, and those are going to be predominantly people who've come here to, to publish traditionally. Yes. So, so what, where, where do you sit on the fence with this? You know, should, should we all be self-publishing? Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. Like there's no reason. I think every writer should self-publish something. I'm not saying they should self-publish everything. Um, I do. Um, I, I have very little interest in a publishing deal unless there was like some kind of obscene money on the table, like way more than I'd actually be worth to the publisher, to be honest. Um, I, I would sell my print rights to a publisher, but I, I don't know if, if that's really kicked off or if it will. Um, I would sell foreign rights, of course. Um, but my ebook rights, I don't know. Even aside from money and whether I could make more on my own or not, um, Seeding that control at this point is going to be very difficult. I love deciding every little detail. I love deciding when the book is coming out, what price it will be, the cover, all that stuff. I really get a kick out of it. And yeah, I think as well, I would struggle to handle the mindset of the publisher, you know? Like I came from the tech world into publishing and like there's good things about that and bad things. Like good things like tech is a very male dominated industry, very little diversity. And this is obviously a female dominated industry. And that's, that's much more, much nicer to, to deal with the personalities and egos and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but publishing is obviously slower and a bit more set in its ways and not very open minded. And I think, yeah, I think I'd be a nightmare for a publisher and they'd be a nightmare for me. So I think we're both just better off sticking to what we, what we do and leaving each other alone, you know? 
I've just talked to like a publisher out of making a, making me a big offer now. <laughs> so maybe I can reconsider, you know, if, if there's lots and lots of money. But I don't know. I like doing what I'm doing. You know, why would I change? Unless there is, you know, I don't. I don't think like people are stupid for signing publishing deals, and they always will make more money on their own. I I, I wouldn't be that rigid about it. Um, I know people who are who are doing both, and and you know sometimes. A publishing deal can expand you into a different readership, you know, one that frequents bookstores, because we don't get into bookstores, really. I'm, I'm happy to self-publish and keep doing it, though. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.